Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, how you doing? Daniel Ruiz Tyson is available for Monday the 21st of December 2020 with me, Daniel Ruiz Tyson, episode 299. Hope you're all healthy, keeping on doing what you need to be doing to keep yourself going. It's 0814 hours here in London. It's another wet morning in the capital of what is promising to be another wet week in the capital. The flat is almost back to what it should be following the hellish experience with the builders. I've got a plumber coming this morning. I'll be dust-sheeting his path to the bathroom this morning. Not convinced from his grammar in his emails and texts that he'll be wearing a mask, so I've got one on standby for him. Very much expecting to get the yeah, yeah, yeah from him too. The rapid trio of yes is widely used by tradesmen. I've got my mud caked trainers still drying in one corner ahead of what is going to be another clenched jawed run this lunchtime. I had a, a difficult run on Friday evening that I didn't enjoy and I didn't really feel the benefit of it mood wise uh, over the uh, weekend. I'm hoping that today will be better. This is, of course, Tier 4 London that I'm coming to you from. I watched that uh, grim press conference from my aunt and uncles on Saturday afternoon. I don't think they had a clue what was happening. Every time I I emitted a sigh as the PM's news got progressively worse, my uncle followed up with his own unconvincing audio. I think he was just taking his lead from me. I don't think he knew what was going on. My aunt goes without saying she was completely clueless. She'd been complaining about the cold settings on her new narrow fridge. I asked her to bring me the manual so I could have a look. Half an hour later, she'd finally located the manual to a fridge bought just last month. I'm not going to be watching any more press conferences from there. I'm not sure when I can go there again anyway under the uh, new Tier 4 restrictions. Also, ahead of the pair of them getting vaccinated on Wednesday, my uncle was pressing me to get as much info from my cousin as possible on the whole vaccination process, including the name of the vaccine. What are you, a doctor? I asked him, what difference does the name of the vaccine make to you? You're getting it regardless. Don't overcomplicate things. There's a special bus picking them up at uh, 0930 hours from their home on Wednesday morning. My uncle was warning my aunt about their early start. My aunt said, I'm not getting up at seven like you just for the vaccine. She turned to me, your uncle needs two hours to get ready and I bet you he still gets vaccinated without putting his teeth in. It's been a chaotic morning, blank texts and missed calls from the elderly neighbour with dementia who, as far as I know, is now in a care home. She's been calling me since 0744 hours. I'm almost minded to block them just because I know there's something not quite right with them now. And I I just don't need any more of these uh, reminders of what a bad year this has been. 
both just for everyone, but also here within this uh, building. Anyway, a special guest on today's show on Friday. I chatted to writer, broadcaster, potty mouth extraordinaire, B.B. Lynch. She was in the middle of her house move. She was generous with her time. We talked about lockdown. We talked about the end of her brilliant Soho radio show. We talked about our respective struggles with mixing desks, all her various projects. And also we spoke about Liverpool winning their first title in 30 years in an empty stadium and how disappointing that felt at my end there were technical issues and this turned out to be a 10-hour editing job that was my Sunday yesterday I've got all the right equipment now finally but in resolving one huge technical issue on Friday morning I'd left myself with another massive issue that wrecked my levels during this recording and at times my own levels sound like someone's hoovering in the background albeit quietly hoovering I've done what I can. I'm not going to do the sorry for uh, any inconvenience business line. I'm sorry for the uneven audio. It's more than a little disheartening and it's not often I get a big guest on so it's uh, doubly frustrating. A lot of my stuff was unusable so out it went. I hope the content of what remains is enough to override the technical difficulties episode 299 has experienced and I hope episode 300 later this week helps to usher in a new glorious era of technical brilliance. On Saturday I was having more Zoom related nightmares and I was grateful for friend John Jacob of the Thoroughly Good Classical Music Podcast tweeting me a hack to save my interview from that morning that YouTube video has proved invaluable i hope i never have to use it again but at least i know now what can be done if i have more zoom trouble anyway here is the one the only bb lynch in what for her was an unusually expletive free hour you were slightly late by about a minute you are unbelievable shall i tell you why why is that tell you why I um usually when I hit a link it just takes me straight through and it asks the password and I was like oh for god's sake I've got to find the password and I knew you'd have an issue with me being late <laughs> Daniel stop telling me off and just tell me how lovely it's to see me I can't believe I'm seeing you I thought that uh, in this digital world you might be punctual I think the last time I saw you at uh, Radio Soho or Soho Radio, you were late. I think the last two occasions. It's always looking flustered as well. Yeah, it's my look. It's my thing. Can I just say something? Sure. You've got a bit of an attitude today. I'm very tired. But it, is, <laughs> it is nice to see you. You've got a few Christmas cards behind you as well. <laughs> right. I, I stole those from my, my popular neighbour. I've got some Christmas cards and I'm, I can't show you the rest of the room because I'm packing. When do you move? January the 4th. Excited? Oh, my God. I mean, have you been keeping up with my tweets about... <laughs> I think for about a year, yes. You're, quite, you're the only person that's unluckier than me when it comes to uh, housing. I do, I do, I do think of us in the same um, housing category. I mean, it's it's relentless. I can't wait to leave. How's how are you doing with all the uh, building work? Is that all finished? That's all finished. It was as difficult as I anticipated. And yeah, there was nothing COVID safe about it. One of the hardest experiences, one of the most unpleasant experiences I've been through. I paused the recording there because I'm only marginally less technically inept than you wow 
when I got this equipment, I asked you, I think I asked you just before I bought it, how you were doing your shows this year, because every now and then you would post a picture of some fancy mixing desk. And I thought, wow, she's doing this. I'd seen you working uh, the desk at uh, Soho Radio as well. So I thought, okay, this is doable. I can learn this. Uh, And you told me that uh, you just let your old producer, Nick, was doing it for you. You and I can have words <laughs> off air. Um, yeah, Nick was doing Nick was doing Soho, but the BBC stuff. Daniel, I'm driving the desk at the BBC. Oh, you are actually doing it. Yeah, it's terrifying. How different is that to the Soho radio? The, the desk you would have seen me drive at Soho was simply a case of me putting my mic up and mic down, yours up and out down. So that was it. I wasn't doing nothing. At the Beeb, you've got to do the whole junction, so you have to go to like news and weather and travel. you know and then take calls and put the fader up and it actually though it's something that I took I put off for about 10 years learning because I was just like um, this it took me I finally passed my driving test when I was 35 right and I feel like there's a parallel I obviously haven't driven since like not once and my driving test I had two years of three two-hour lessons a week and took five tests And and I did it for a feature and the day that I passed I went back to the magazine and said, oh, good news, everyone, I've passed. And, and anyone involved in the feature had either left or died. So basically, <laughs> I, never, I never wrote the piece. So I do not have the brain that learns things quickly. And so I put it off, put it off. But, but now I do it. It's, it's so brilliant because you can kind of, you can really choreograph the show. You really have like, more control over it. I love it. And you can use, you know, you can punctuate with sound and make uh, punchline stuff, she says. I mean, I'm still kind of, you know, losing the news every every second show. But it's a great skill to have. Just on the driving, did you have no intention of driving when you were doing this feature? Once you passed the test, did you not think, that's it, I'm a driver now? I'm well, I, I wanted to. Do you drive? No, I can't. So I'm interested in what you're yeah. saying. Because I think I had enough about me to accept by my early 20s that it Mm. wasn't for me and it's the same fear with this mixer Mm. that I'm constantly twiddling I'm just not very good with machines slightly less dangerous to be in front of a desk than maybe a car I mean I no I thought I would well because I was living in London then as well as I have been like you know all my life effectively and I um I just thought that but my dad was living in Sussex and I thought oh it would be a a nice thing to just kind of you know go out on the road and you know roof down (laughs) <laughs> window down um and just blast music and just drive so I kind of had that that so I didn't need it day to day I mean does anyone in London I didn't need it day to day but I um I thought it would be something that I, I thought it was a life skill that I should have I also can't swim and I can't cook I can swim can cook a bit but I don't enjoy the cooking and I can't stand cookery programs I'm a, I'm a strong swimmer rather than a I'd say rather than a good swimmer I'm a what what's your preferred stroke it's the breaststroke Really interesting, <laughs> controversial. Hey, Daniel is Tyson. Yes, Bibi Lynch. Hey, by the way, I'm glad that you told me. It's not to say that I agree, but yeah. when we set this interview up, you gave me the heads up that you were slightly chubbier. Yes. And I was prepared mentally. You gave me a week to prepare for that. And I thought, this is actually, I think she's onto something here because maybe this yeah. is something everyone should do. Warn you know, people. Yeah, and I thought, well, if she has piled on the pounds, if this is Elvis yeah. 70s, then I've, all I've got to do is stare into the centre of the screen and see if I can discern B.B. Lynch's features. Like a blowfish, I'd be able to see your features right in the middle. 
what I would say is you look tired. You look Do tired. I? Do, should I tell you why I look tired? First of all, this is the worst sex line I've ever called. <laughs> I'm on a budget. I'm on a shoestring. <laughs> But I'll tell you why I look tired. I've been on four deadlines the last three or four days and oh my God. And doing my tax and, and sorting a move. I'm knackered. How long have you been in this place? Three and a bit years. The Hope Connection, was that mm. your dad? Then? No, no. Dad was in, um, dad was in a, a village called Wardron, which is... Um, near in East Sussex but not in Hove um my niece was in Hove but um and I I was oh god you know I had 10 years of being hidden homeless what you need to do when I start talking about stuff like this is put a, a kind of perky music bed underneath so it doesn't sound so awful um and um in one of my many you know 30 places I lived in 10 years one was house sitting for a friend down here and then I started doing some more work down here and I was thinking actually it's really and also truth is I can't afford London I think it's a fundamental right to be able to live in the city you were born in, the city you love. I really do. Especially as a city, well, actually, I was just about to say if it's a city you contribute to, but that even that's bullshit. Just, you know, we talked about this, the Maslow hierarchy of needs. You need shelter, you need warmth, you need security. Where people choose to get that, I'm not saying I need, I'm going to live in Kensington, but I should be able to live... West Kensington, in- I think I could see you in West Kensington. Could you? Yeah. I said, no, I don't have the right shoes. But I think I could be, you know, I was born in Lambeth. Why can't I live in Lambeth? It's depressing, honestly. That, but saying all this is not depressing because I've, um, I've decided to start manifesting. Do you know what that is? No. Big fan of manifesting. And I've only done it once and it's worked. So manifesting, apparently, is that you really put it out there what you want, right? You, you're like, and I did it with the flat and hoes. I was like the flat I'm moving to and I was saying I want it to be on the seafront I want it to be this I want it to be that I want it to be that and it's all those things and out of all I've I viewed about 10 properties I think this is the only one that was all those things so now I'm manifesting um that I'm going to get a place in London as well and I might be marrying someone called James who's an architect or Frank who's a human rights lawyer all by 2021 or by the end of 2021 or is there a- I want to give myself a bit of time to drop the extra weight <laughs> <laughs> what's what's contributed to this extra poundage you're wearing it well. thank you um lockdown lockdown oh man so people have been drinking do you drink Are you a drinker no a, a 10 years teetotal next month wow how you can celebrate <laughs> it is very boring i have to say <laughs> Um, no, so I, um, but I haven't been really been drinking, and so not, not not for any big reason, but just really haven't. And um, but I've been eating button soup, which is you know I know you you love those pictures make me nauseous. I have to say, oh, how dare you? There's just so much chocolate. Are you telling me that you're really eating that stuff? Yeah, I was. Did you ever see my white chocolate Magnum one? Yeah, I've never liked white chocolate. Wow, I I don't remember you being this controversial before. You know when you get people that have slimmed down and they win Slimmer of the Year? You, you've, gone, <laughs> you've gone dark at your end. Have, have you been paying your bills? Have I got Oh, no, it's because my um, laptop's gone. There you go. <laughs> you know when you, when you get those uh, Slimmer of the Years and they, they pose by the side of their um, old, overweight, cardboard cutout, yeah. life-size cutout? I think, inevitably, these people always pile the weight back on. And I yeah. think once they do, they ought to be forced to pose by a life-size cutout of their slim self because i think 
they set themselves unrealistic targets. If you are prone to being overweight, obviously there might be health issues, but why the big fanfare when you lose all the weight? I had a friend like that, and he'd start, he started tucking his shirt in, doing his, you know, <laughs> doing his belt. No guy tucks their shirt in. And this is because he'd never been slim. This is what he was doing. And it was just, you know, they're not low-key. I might be making something up now. So that French again. tuck. What is that? French tuck? I think, I think I might be making this up, but I think French tuck is when you tuck the front of your like baggy t-shirt or, or shirt or something into the front of your jeans, but it's just a tiny bit. And you leave the back out, which is um, basically the story of my career. <laughs> um, Daniel, will you do me a favour? Will you say your name in Spanish, please? Daniel Ruiz Dizon. Oh my God, I love that. Can you say my name in Spanish, please? Bibi Lynch. What is BB short for? Was it's a... not. So that's your actual name? Yeah, my mum was called BB. It's, um, my granddad was from Bangladesh and it's a Muslim name. And it means respected lady. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, my name's BB Bernadette Lynch. Oh, that's where the BB came in. Yeah. So what's the first name? No, BB is BB. Oh. My name, BIBI is BB, and my middle name is Bernadette, so my initials are BB Lynch. I so thought you, that was what was confusing you. You've got quite a mixed background, haven't you? Quite a mixed heritage. Just run me through your dad's side, because where's Lynch from? Is that an English name or? That's Irish. Irish. The dad's family are Irish, um, and I haven't looked any further into that. So as far as I know, Irish through and through. My mum's side. My mum's dad was Bangladeshi. And again, I haven't looked further into that. So he, I guess, is Bangladeshi through and through. But my mum's mum is from um, Russian, Jewish and Sh Sri Lankan stock. They got around, didn't they, your, your mum's they, family? They, they got around. They had a little, an oyster card and they were going to use it. But you know what? You know, you and I both support Liverpool. Yeah, I was going to come to that shortly. Well, we both love them, don't we, very much. And when I looked at the family tree, there's loads of Liverpool connections in my family. So I was really chuffed about that. As in what they settled in Liverpool when they came here? My, oh, I can't remember. Honestly, it's so confusing. But I think like my great-grandmother was, was a scouser, that kind of thing. And then she married, was she the one that married the Russian Jewish man? It's, it's that kind of combinations. But yeah, are you straight up Spanish? Yeah, both sides, uh, deep south. So they're slightly hillbilly-ish. In the late noughties, <laughs> you started to get a different type of Spaniard coming into London, and I couldn't really relate to them. And I, I, it took me years to realise that these people were different because they were educated, whereas my parents' generation, they were illiterate because, you know, there wasn't much schooling around after the Civil War. I just seem to automatically assume that every Spaniard coming to London was either going to be a cleaner or a waiter. So suddenly when these younger <laughs> educated Spaniards started coming to London, I'd never seen that type of Spaniard before in London. And, you know, they could speak English as well, which, you know, my parents' generation couldn't really do. It's that classic living in an immigrant bubble, really, you know, mm. getting up at four or five in the morning to go and do those horrible jobs. And they never did speak um did they never learn at all? Oh, my dad did, but he had the ridiculous accent. But uh, <laughs> he, was, he was very ambitious with his attempt on the English language. But uh, my aunt and uncle, my God. 
they've been here 55 years between them if they've if they've got 60 words of english between them i'll be surprised it's it's incredible it's so stressful every letter they get is the end of the world every <laughs> every letter they get has to be read has to be photographed has to be whatsapp to someone that might understand and how can you live like that that's how they i do. love the sound of your aunt yeah she's uh, she's quite feisty it's it's amazing how you get these elderly women who just they're just fearless. Are you talking about me or your aunt? <laughs> Not you yet. You're looking awfully lonely there. It, it, looks like <laughs> a, it looks like a very big place. You've got the big ceilings. You're looking tired. You're obviously packing. <laughs> I can't recall ever, ever getting in touch with you at a good point in your life, but this one seems a little bleak. Shut your face. I was feeling quite perky before, before I joined you. Just it, they are quite high ceilings, aren't they? Quite like oh. that, and it does look like a moon, the big old round lampshade, light shade thing. Um, no, no, I'm all right. I think I'm okay. Everything's just so weird. Are you in? You're in tier three now. I remember actually the first gag I heard about COVID was on your show. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> which would have been February or early March. But at what point did you start to think? Right, I can't keep doing the things I normally do I have to change the things I'm doing I guess when the first lockdown happened so end of March I, I went out I did a show in Soho so my last time I was in London for months and months and months was March the 4th March the 5th went up on March the 4th um, went to an event um, came back stayed at producer Nick's and his dog Pickle got in the bed with me again and I don't know if you ever met Pickle but i I would say to Nick, you know, oh my God, Pickle loves me so much, but apparently Pickle gets into bed with every guest, so Pickle's a slut. <laughs> but um, I stayed there and um, went to a meeting, that was all great, came back and then didn't go back up to London until October. And that's the longest in my life that I hadn't been in London. And I was dreaming about the place. What was really the whole lockdown thing, because as you have very kindly pointed out, I do live on my own <laughs> and I work from home on my own, you know, 99% of the time so lockdown was fierce for me and especially at that stage you know you were allowed out for an hour I found it really tough and I hated the whole zoom call and it all felt like too many new year's eves I don't like the false fun of the fun bully side of new year's eve and it felt like a lot of that I mean I can't imagine you were loving all that either no I found the second lockdown a lot tougher I think the first did one, you yeah I, the first one there was the stress say of the queues outside the shops the hoarders and trying to get to grips with social distancing this second one I've just found it harder we're just muddling along here in London and I certainly don't think this is going to be the last lockdown in the next few months I think the start of 2021 promises to be just really tough I mean the Christmas thing the whole idea of these five days where you can pretty much do what you want is just bizarre. It's, it's too weird, isn't it, to go from z three to zero back to three. It feels different down here then to how you're describing London. It's there's definitely people seem to be wearing their masks all the time. And I mean, I'm not out all the time, but, you know, when I go out, I'm wearing mine and, I, and people seem to be doing theirs. The, the, the thing that people aren't doing, and do you remember this right at the beginning of the first one? And it, it kind of freaked me out in, in a real kind of British way. And also I'm quite neurotic. I, I don't know if you remember that about me, but um, that thing of if you were walking along a pavement, you'd, you'd step into the road. So some, you wouldn't be in someone else's space. 
and then I felt like I had to explain it and apologize <laughs> and then I was like I'm sure they realize what I'm doing because they're doing it too and that's changed so people are slightly more cavalier with the social distancing I think but I just um, went for some light shoplifting just now <laughs> I got you something lally and um it, it, people were respecting it there and queuing and you know so I, that that feels slightly different it's weird I found the second one much easier I don't know what that's about I I mean I whooped and nearly wept with the joy of the, the vaccine news because that, that's made me feel really different about the whole it just feels like there's I'm, I'm not going to go into the train analogies here but it did feel like you know something is going to change did not for you I think I've been maybe too cautious I haven't been paranoid but interestingly just today I would say I had the worst incident on a on public transport in my nine ten months of lockdown that was coming home from the shops and a guy got on late middle-aged wearing a kangle hat sat in front of me on the upper deck of the bus a persistent cough he was wearing a mask to be fair and you could see people were getting twitchy and one woman on the seat across from him she opened the window which i think was good she had the presence of mind to do that yeah i was thinking what else could it be you know because it is flu season do you have a yeah. persistent cough when it's flu season? It's more the sneeze in the runny nose. At some point, you are going to encounter someone who's got those symptoms. And if the guy had symptoms, obviously, he shouldn't be on public transport. But that's probably the most alarming incident I've had in a confined space. I've been of the mind that it's going to be, it's going to be something that's so difficult to outrun. You know, how, how do you avoid this? Why am I feeling optimistic then? Because I don't have an optimistic bone in my body. And yet right now I'm like, yeah, OK, we've got this now. I think for me, the point where I thought I can't do the things that I normally do, it was a Friday. I think it was just before the first lockdown. I was going to go to the library and then I thought I'd better not. And that was the moment where I realised things were going to be really different. And like you, being on my own, it's I'm not someone who's ever needed to be around a lot of people, but this second one, you think, maybe that needs to change. Yeah. Having said that, imagine being in a relationship that wasn't working and you're, you're stuck living together. That would be awful, wouldn't it? Would you know what, though? I'm, I'm very much hoping that some relationships will break up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, that's, the, that's the silver lining, Daniel. <laughs> I mean, that's got to um, be tougher than being on your own has got to be being with oh, someone. Totally, totally. But but also, no, I, I do agree with that. I do agree with that. But there are, I mean, you know, I write about not having children and it really wound me up the first lockdown, seeing all the stuff about, oh, if I hear one more single person with, or one person without kids moaning about how stressful it is. And I was like, oh, you know what? It's stressful in every way, in very many ways, for very many different people. And for me, I also was being told I was being evicted when, during the first lockdown. So I was like, okay, how am I going to find somewhere to live? Um, how am I going to even pay, pay my rent? Because I don't know what's going to happen with work. And luckily work, you know, kind of maintained, but it could easily not have. Um, and I don't, you don't have anyone to discuss those things with when you're on your own. You also have, I was getting flashbacks of when we, what, what you brilliantly call the Great Recession, of what happened then to journalism and how it went from a grand, you know, thousand pounds for a thousand words to some people just do it for that delicious exposure my thing was less about me being in on my own. It was about if the recession and depression is as fierce as feared, this is going to be. It took me 10 years to get my life to some kind of good level after the Great Recession. I don't have another 10 years. I'm not saying I'm ill, but you know what I mean? <laughs>
<laughs> I don't want to, it's not how I'm breaking the news to you, but it's like, I didn't want, you know, it, that's what was getting me in. And yeah, I'm sure there were stresses, you know, um, homeschooling, but you've also got, you know, the lovely cuddles and maybe someone you do love in the room and blah, blah, blah. And it's difficult in a different way for, for other people, but the other people are the people that tend not to kind of go on social and slag off the parents. It's extraordinary. I've, there's a, a brilliant woman called Jodie Day who fronts Gateway Women, which is a, a forum for uh, people that didn't have kids who wanted them. And she calls it um, pronatalism, worshipping at the altar of parenthood. And there really is something about that that's like, it seems that even lockdown was worse for parents. You know, in the list of everything that is bad, worse for parents, even lockdown, it's like, oh my God, now's the time you'd get to say that? You don't. Am I still on? You are still on. I find the weekends yeah. particularly tough. I think that's the time where I think I've got to be careful here. That's why I exercise a lot. Not because I'm, you know, someone who loves exercising. It's because I see the mental benefit of... Do no, you I'm get the endorphin rush? Yeah, I, I went out for a run just before this tonight, though, and the weather was so horrible and I've been so stressed and I didn't enjoy it. But for me, it's important to do it. It's more mentally than, than physically, because mm. otherwise I think I'd have crumbled during this, um, mm. during this second lockdown. In fact, I probably have, to be fair. <laughs> I, I, I do think I did. It's, there's no manual for this, is there? It's there's we, no manual for this, and it's and it is. I mean, oh god, I've got so much to say about this. I feel like I don't know if I agree with you about will things go back to normal because I I think there's well, obviously I haven't given given birth, but I think there might be the equivalent of you know your memory doesn't let you remember the pain of a, of a situation so you can do it again so I wonder if we will go back to, to life how it was if you know god willing the reset the recession I just said the vaccine works or the vaccines work which I'm sure they will um because again people are nervous about the fact that the vaccines have come through so quickly but that's because everything everyone gave it the the green light the funding was there everything was was um happening at the same time in terms, in terms of research so no no corners have been whatever the word the term is they they're safe they're brilliant they're going to work um so i think we will i hope we do go back to to things normally my equivalent of your um exercise is being by the sea there's there's just that perspective that that gives you isn't there and, and it's it that's really helped me when you were speaking earlier about uh, journalism rates dropping during the Great Recession, I remember that because I wasn't the keenest of journalists and I was simply only doing it for money. And when I started right away to be told you're going to be working for less money, I thought, OK, there's a problem here because I, I don't enjoy the traveling side of things enough to be able to do this if it's not for good money. I think those of us who struggled during the Great Recession never quite got back to where we were. I think our generation as well, our generation of writers, because the internet was so new at that time still, we kind of made a, a pact with a devil in a way. For that exposure, for example, sometimes we started doing things for free and that became the established pattern. So the next yeah. generation of writers, they're all mm. starting like that. And it's just become mm. an established pattern that you know, 20 years ago, you wouldn't have written anything for free it's appalling and it also it's a it's a terrible precedent and it's it doesn't make for good copy you know and people just want clicks rather than the actual you know content that's that's, that's you know journalism is important journalism used to mean something and it can still mean something but you know if, if it's a situation where you're not actually earning then that limits who can go into it and you, you know i just don't want another kind of you know rich kid platform i'm going to talk to you about liverpool a thing that added to the weirdness of this year was 
watching <laughs> Liverpool win the title under strange circumstances. I felt cheated because it's 30 years. And you think about where you were when they last won the title in 1990. It was quite emotional. But then for that team of all the teams to win the title in this year, this strange year, to, to win the title with no fans present, it was just a real kick in the teeth. It really was. I really agree. And you know that that point you made about the um, the, the the team around the Hillsborough time um, about having you know post traumatic stress disorder. You said that on your podcast form. When you said it, well, I listened. And when you said that, I was like, I've never thought of that before. Absolutely true, and an absolutely brilliant point. And you kind of want to just—they're amazing. I always think sports people, the strength of character anyway, you know, if something went wrong with me, I, I would just walk off a pitch. You know, I'm, I'm got, I'd pretend to have a heart attack. I, I can't, you know, I'm not very good at anything like that. But the, the, the strength they had to get through that, especially because teams are so tight-knit to be that successful. To be that successful, you have to be that tight-knit. And that is with, they would have had, you know, family members there, friends. I mean, it was traumatising. But yeah, this time round, oh, I mean, my friend Woni, um, his name is Wayne Anthony, Wayne Tony. So I call him Woney. It's very charming. He um, got me a Liverpool shirt with Lynch on the back. <laughs> My brother John got me a really beautiful glass tie with the liver bird kind of in this like enameled. It's just gorgeous. And I sat there, Daniel, with my, <laughs> with my shirt on, <laughs> with my little little tile, translucent tile in front of me, just watching it thinking this is bloody horrible really really depressing my good friend graham Stuness, i think would would agree with us Just it almost feels to me like it didn't happen i don't have a memory of it i do have a memory of it but i don't have a normal in context with everything else memory of it i just have a, a memory of this is the weirdest time on earth oh look we've done this it it you know world champions everything all of it and none of it's really and I feel like we didn't get our I'm sort of I don't say me we me and you <laughs> we didn't get the kind of joy of just going crazy with it the excitement of it because everyone else had other things to think about as well you know we didn't have that focus I just we just uh, have all been cheated I mean I just hope they do equally brilliantly and so at least I've got it back but it will never be the first time again it will never be you know, 30 years since again. I was always envious when we first spoke about Liverpool some years ago and, and found out that we both supported Liverpool. The fact that you remember a season where I wish I'd been old enough. To remember <laughs> I remember the 77 FA Cup final. I remember it being on. I remember Emily Hughes crying when Liverpool lost. I remember <laughs> Elvis dying. I remember, I think Martin Lewis broke it on the news and I didn't know who Elvis was. But that 77 season, 76, 77, when Liverpool were going for the treble, and it's the whole, even though I'm a Republican, you've got the whole Silver Jubilee thing going on. It's 1977. It's such a big year. And if there was one year that I wish I'd been an adult in, I think it's that year. Was that the Jimmy Case goal? Yeah. That he nearly broke the net? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I can picture it. I can't believe what I had for breakfast. And yet that goal was mad, isn't it? But, you know, you've got Kevin Keegan. He was on the brink of leaving. He was the biggest player it's a strange thing with Kevin Keegan because he's, he's so low profile and we forget that 40 years ago he was massive. He was huge. Yeah. He was the player of the 70s. So he's leaving Liverpool. You think, how are they going to replace him? Along comes someone who's even better. To lose that FA Cup final, I think that is where my dislike for 
United comes from. It's that, <laughs> it's that game. But it's also the colours of that game and that beautiful white and black Liverpool away kit with the red trim. And, you know, the FA Cup was a, a big thing at that time, a massive thing. You've got punk going on. I'm not, I was never into punk music, but it just seemed like a very just exciting these- time. I almost ruined my uncle's wedding because at his wedding reception, it was the cup final. And I made him put on the telly <laughs> to watch the match okay. at his wedding reception in Battersea. How bad is that? And then we lost. And then my dad threatened to beat up Kevin Keegan because we'd lost. And I was going, don't touch Kevin. There's two things about that game that are really interesting for anal football fans. David Coleman, who I think was one of the best TV commentators ever, he was on strike. He was at war with the BBC. And that allowed John Motson to step in. And from then on, John Motson had all the cup finals. And the second thing was that that enmity between United and Liverpool fans, it wasn't there at that time. It's incredible. It's only 40 years ago, but it wasn't there. Is that true? It is true. United fans were wishing Liverpool uh, all the best for the European Cup final on the Wednesday. Just a few years earlier, Bobby Charlton's testimonial, he actually, I think they played at Liverpool or... Liverpool were played at Old Trafford. There was a very friendly rivalry between the two teams. You had had Busby and Shankly who were close. And it's only, I think, in the 80s, the early 80s, it started to become a bit poisonous. When I lived in Manchester for a year, I remember remember you didn't visit, but um, when I lived in Manchester for a year, United won and I was out shopping and got caught in the, the bus going through, celebrating, and I was like, oh, for God's sake. Do you think you're in home for good now? I mean, does it feel like home? Oh, do you know, I, I love London so much. I, I want both now because actually when I first moved down here, I was just like, it's not London, it's not London. But that's, it's, of course it's not London. You know, nowhere is London except for London. And so I actually thought, so when I started just thinking, enjoying what it is that's here, it's incredible here. It's beautiful. And I've got loads of friends here and I really do love it. And, and I'm, my thing with London, you know, just it's in my dna london's in my dna and i just i miss it so much and i if i see photos of it it makes me feel weird and you know you know you know i going up there when i've been up there before lockdown and everything is is tricky for me because it makes me just miss it so much but i don't have one area in london where i have more than a couple of people do you know what i mean and down here i've got loads of people and and if especially if you're working from home and you're self-employed it's really nice to be able to when we you know covid at the side to be able to go out and have a coffee or do something with someone then go back and work and whereas in london that's a real trek somewhere to do it and so ideally daniel ruth tyson i would like a place in london and hove she says but i'm manifesting it were these people already here when you moved to hove or these are friends that you've made in the last two three years friends that i've made yeah that's the thing that worries me about uprooting because I'd, I'd love a fresh start i'd love to get out of the country to be honest would you yeah i would but i don't think i'd be very good at meeting people i, I wouldn't know how to do it it is a skill and i just work on the basis that if i'm not seeing many people here what is the point of being here maybe you need something to just kick start your life again obviously everything at the moment is just it's weird you know you can't really make any plans now's a tricky time yeah yeah when I moved to Manchester I didn't know anyone up there I had one friend who I um and I'd met him on Twitter and um but I but you know he wasn't a great friend you know he was lovely he's lovely he's a lovely man he is a friend but you know he wasn't like my best friend or anything like that um and so I would see him occasionally but I um when I left a year later 
I had about a week, week and a half, where every lunch and evening was me saying goodbye to someone that I'd met. And I met them all through Twitter. There are some lovely things about that crazy site. You can meet people if you want to do that. I mean, you'll be surprised to hear I have a therapist. And when I... <laughs> just one. <laughs> when I'm... Um... When I see her and I'm talking about, I said, I dreamt, dreamt about London again. And often in the dreams, I'm saying to someone, I'm actually dreaming about you tonight. And in the dream, I'll be saying to you, should I be in London? Where do you see me? Do you think I should be in London? It's like I'm posing that question the whole time. And she quite brilliantly said, she went, actually, it could, it could be less about London and more about what London represented at the ages you were there. So, when, you know, at a time when I was, you know, when I was young and firm and I wanted to, you know, I thought <laughs> I, thought I was going to do this, I was going to do that. London represented that London was part of that and so maybe it's less about leaving that city which I you know I can't deny that I just love and as, as I say again it's in my DNA but maybe it's about losing use maybe it's moving to a different stage in life or different stage in career I mean could be all those things couldn't it what has struck me about the way people have responded to the uncertainty that's been um, the result of the, the pandemic so far, that's without really it kicking in recession-wise, and, and the horror people have felt and the insecurity and the fear for their homes and the fear for their jobs and the, the stress levels and their fear for the sanity around the stresses of all those things I've just said, as a result of the things I've just said didn't make me go well there you go but it did make me think a lot of us have been through this for a long time since the 2008 recession and it's only now that it's hitting the masses that that's taken seriously and that should have been taken seriously before because my life changed because of the the, the 2008 the great recession that you call it and and it, it did and it wasn't just my life it was enough people's lives that that should have been really really impactful on decisions and policy and it just wasn't and now it's hitting more and more people the masses it's seen as oh my god and it's like we've been here we've suffered I've had 10 years of it I was hidden homeless for 10 years you've had to move for 10 years and that's as a direct result of the recession I got some support from friends and family but a lot of people didn't and a lot of people were like oh get a job here get a job there and I'm like I have applied for 100 jobs but I've got that working class working ethic, work ethic, and I go for everything. I've applied for cleaning jobs. I've, I've done receptionist work for 40 pounds a day. You know, I went for everything. And sometimes there weren't jobs there or people will only employ someone that already does the job or has done the job and their minds aren't broad enough to say, OK, someone's got a transferable skill set, so therefore could do the job. So I was up against it the whole time. And there was rarely people that understood that. I found it really devastating then and I find it infuriating now because people, now again it's happening to so many people, are demanding that understanding. I was going to say something to you when you were saying about people not wanting to go back to the office. I think a lot of people, one thing I did miss as well, one thing I'd loved, because I started working at the BBC down here, I was going in to do my show and I've managed to still be able to do that. And they're so strict there as you take the temperature, the hand stuff, the social distance. I mean, it's, they're really uh, on it. There's always a glass wall between me and my producer and I think he loves it that way. Um, <laughs> but, um, but before that, I would pop in and I'd do stuff in the studio and, and we'd I'd be in the office and we'd go for lunches and stuff. And I loved that. As a freelancer, that was really lovely to have that because I had rarely had that in my career. So that feels like a huge loss to me. And I think a lot of people 
what goes on outside of their home is what makes that home work. So actually, I think a lot of people will want to go back to work. I think it's a real suck it and see. I think I think we have to wait and see what happens. I think, yeah, I think the mental health stuff is interesting. I'm a bit disappointed you're not doing this topless. Are you quite buff now? I'm getting one of those uh, lean runner physiques, which is not what Are I wanted. You? Yeah. If I had a more interesting life this year, you know, I've probably gone out maybe for 150 runs this year. If I had a more interesting life, it would have been half of that, I reckon. (laughs) There's no getting away from it, you know, just done it because I have to do something. it's, It's tough. And if there's a third lockdown, which is inevitable, certainly here in London. Yeah, it's um I think it's more important if you're a creative person, you have to keep that creativity flowing. I think it's a real outlet and that's not always been easy in recent months. It does, you know, the situation does wear you down. On the moving front, how fussy are you when you're looking for property? You know, because for me, you know, I'd I'd be touching the walls if they're hollow. I'm thinking that's going to be cold in the winter. Also, you're worrying about about neighbours. I'm checking the skirting boards for signs of rodents. You know, I'm very, very anal. What are you like? You just uh, do you just step in and think, oh, that's it. This is great. This will do me. Or I tend to um, when I did feel, and this is this is quite interesting. I, I did feel at one point I didn't really have any choice in where I would go, and that's what ten years of hidden homeless does to you, where you just feel like you're lucky to have a roof, which is, and I don't even say that lightly. And so actually, I'd be like, oh, okay, someone's allowing me to be here, or this feels safe. It doesn't feel like something, you know. So I would go. I, it was real lowest common denominator of um, demands, and 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 now, and I don't know what's happened to me, but I suddenly feel like I deserve something much better. <laughs> I feel like I'm in, I've kind of gone into a quite a healthy frame of mind in terms of that. And um, and I'm so lucky. The place I'm moving to is unbelievably beautiful, like really gorgeous and nearby. Yeah, yeah, about three minutes where I am. It's right by the sea. It's, I mean, I've, I've lucked out. It's incredible. So I'm really super excited about it. I, I, I see it, I mean, as she says, but I see it as a place where I'll be able to build from in terms of career. And I've got a book idea. I finally got a book idea. And I really, really want to do it. And I see myself writing there. So when you say in terms of how fussy you are, I do go a lot on the feel of a place. So when I go in there, I feel like I could, do I feel, do I feel safe here? Do I feel like I could work here? Do I feel like I, you know, would it be fun pottering around and getting ready in here? You know, I was about to say ready to go out or go, you know, <laughs> go where? But, you know, so I, I like the whole um, energy of somewhere, not in a kind of dippy way, but just, just like, yeah, this feels, I've just lived in quite a few places that have felt oppressive. This new place doesn't, it feels exciting. And it feels like, um, it feels like a bit of a new start. I mean, I don't know. One of the things that always worries me, especially when I was moving around a lot, was the fear of moving into a place that might be haunted. And I say this because today I couldn't find my phone at one point. I'd come back from the shops and then I found it and I thought it wasn't there. I just looked. It wasn't there. And also a bar of soap. I, I switched to old school uh, bars of soap early on in the pandemic because yeah. the, uh, the hand wash, I think, just strips your hands. It strips the skin. Yeah. And I couldn't find a bar of soap. And I'm thinking, you know, because sometimes they say if there's a presence, it can be a bit mischievous and starts hiding things. It's a way of making contact. You think if I was a ghost, I'd be doing a bit more than that. You know, I'd, I'd make it count. You know, I'd go, you know, full on pulling the duvet cover of someone, you know. And But that would worry me, especially old places, you know, all the history there and 
Well, it's funny when you were saying that you like you tap the walls, see if they're hollow and stuff. And I was going to say, well, you know, do you check for bodies? But yeah, you know, the ghost thing is, is oh, don't. So I think, so do you sleep with your phone? No. Actually, this year, for the first time, I've started listening to podcasts on a nap because before that it was always on the iPod. So this hmm. year, if I'm listening to something to get me to sleep, it is on the phone. But I do make a point of not checking emails at that time of night. So I'm, I'm bad at this. So I have my phone next to me. I'll go, you know, I will eventually go to sleep. Um, and I, everyone, I think we will have pacer on our phone. And so, you know, I, I like to, you know, <laughs> see how many steps I haven't taken. So I get up, right? Before I even get up, I look at my phone, first thing I do, and pacer comes up and it's showing me that I've had, there's been steps have been taken between 4.30 and 5 a.m. when I was asleep, Daniel. That is creepy. I know. 2007, yeah. 2008, living in Putney, I was in my study and it was Bax Flower Remedies. You know, it was the rescue remedy. It was on my desk. The desk was flat and I got a spirit level afterwards just to check it was flat. <laughs> and this, this rescue remedy, it moved across <gasps> the desk on its own. It was just three or four seconds but it travelled quite a distance. Don't say that. And I thought, what is that? And if there is something behind that, what a strange thing to do. What am I meant to read from that? You know, yeah, just, what's that telling you? I don't mind the idea of coming back as a ghost. I think it could be interesting, as long as you're not a troubled soul, mm. you know, haunting all mm. the flats that you've lived in. Yeah. You know? <laughs> oh, that'd be exhausting. <laughs> Who's got... Who's got time for that? Um, I was going to say something to you. What was I going to say? Oh, it's about the ghost thing. I can't remember. Oh, no, it freaks me right out. Things like that really, um, really bother me. You know, we've got... Um, so I've been loving your podcast. You're, you're so brilliantly talented. I'm not just saying that because you are, but you are. Good to have 20 listeners. No, you are really brilliant. <laughs> um, and I've been loving your podcast and it really made me laugh because so we were born in the same hospital, weren't we? We were. Yeah. I love that. But we've got something else in common. We both watch Newsnight the day after. I very rarely catch it live, which is frustrating because it tells me that, you know, I'm working too hard. It's the one program <laughs> I try to make a commitment to. It's an incredible program in the sense it has been completely transformed by an all all woman team. And when there's a male presenter fronting it, it doesn't work now. I've, I've never encountered a program like that. And they've even got this heavy hitting former Sky guy now doing it on Fridays and it doesn't work. Yeah. It's not working. And, you know, particularly when it's mateless and Emma Barnes, oh. it's incredible. It's the strongest period Newsnight has had since Paxman. And even um, Kirsty Walk has really stepped up to the plate. It's just, you know, it's on a uh, quarter to 11 at night and and to be missing it you think well this this life isn't working out if I my life work it. balance is screwed yeah. this is so weird you say that about the because uh, i totally agree the female presenters are just um but mateless oh god i just she's i mean now i drive the desk at the bbc daniel i understand you know pressures of live uh, <laughs> broadcast how does she keep so calm she's brilliant she's absolutely brilliant but that moment every night where they introduce the show and then they walk in their heels up those two <laughs> steps 
that's going to go wrong at some point. You just know that. But it's 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 a great show. I think Emma Barnett is very Terrier-like, and it's it's her thing. She's great. I think Max is 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 the kind of the cool assassin. I want to finish off with a big thing for me was you finishing up your uh, Soho radio show after six years because that was a brilliant piece of radio. I think this mm. year, I think you did two shows with Marie Wilson. Oh, two, you loved her, but. I mean, I don't know how the pair of you got away with it because it was so carry on, but it was so funny. And there was just this incredible connection. I don't know if you'd met her before she was on your show because she immediately went along with the feel of the show. The second They're one... the best guests. They're the best guests that just kind of get it. Um, I hadn't met her before. I'd loved her and I've always loved her music. And I, there was a song that you really loved. I can't remember what it was. It wasn't Crimea River. And it wasn't, it was the ba 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 yeah. That one, wasn't it? Yeah. I love it. She, um, so you know, just what I always wanted was her big hit. When I, again, was young and firm, I was in a cabaret and it was called Chris Gibson and the Exhibitionists. And um, we, were, we played all the gay clubs in the UK. We'd go on tour and uh, we'd wear the lure on tour and the boys were all gay and the girls were straight. And we were... Oh God, it was at a time when all the entertainment and cabaret scene was um, was mining drag acts, drag queens, that's great. But we sang live. So we would bastardise lyrics and we would sing live. And bear in mind, I'm, I think I was 18 and a half and my gimmick was to sing into a dildo called Derek. <laughs> Who named the dildo? I think I did. And the singing, um, the song I sang was just what I always wanted. So it said he was giving me a dildo to use. It's just what I've always wanted. 18 and a half, for God's sake. Anyway, so that song was in my head like forever and ever. And then we got Mary on the show and I can't remember how he did. And I was saying to producer Nick, I really want to tell her that I used to sing to a dildo and like mess up her lyrics. And I didn't get the courage to do that until she was on about the second or third time I could do it. But she... Um, Oh, I mean, there are some people that are so brilliant to interview because they're not PR anodyne. You know, they haven't, they haven't had that knocked out of them. They know what to give press and media, but they're also really genuine, also have really brilliant stories. Do you remember the story of her giving Paul McCartney um, a carry bag of all her singles, saying to him, I've got all your records, so you should have some on Yes. <laughs> she was such a laugh, and I love that. I love those shows. She'd just come in and just, just, just storm it. Was it a big decision for you to finish up there after six years? Was it the distance? Was it just wanting to try something new? Was it just trying to bow out while the show was at its peak? I was doing it for six and a half years and loved doing it and, and, and you know, really loved it and, you know, met, met amazing people and Soho lot were great and it was all brilliant. And then um, lockdown, of course, I wasn't going up to do it and that's one of those shows that you really need to do live. Just doesn't doesn't feel right. The fact is, though, it's one of those shows that you'll be hard pushed to replicate elsewhere because obviously you had a certain freedom there, maybe. And yeah, yeah, just, and um, I do, I do appreciate that. And um, I was really proud of the show, and I really loved doing it. And I just felt like also it's come to a natural end in terms of me having other work. But it is sad. I thought the rapport between you and producer Nick was just incredible. And the last couple of years, it just seemed to come into its own. It was uh, how that guy survived the Marie Wilson show is beyond <laughs> me. The second appearance is it, it's not an easy show to find. You, you can find it on Mixcloud, but you'd really have to spend a few hours trying to find that BB Does Soho show from the start of the year. It's well worth a listen. And it's almost from the get go. It just 
I told you this before in an email. For me, it was the it reminded me a lot, and I have to go back 10, 12 years. Jonathan Ross on Radio Two. You know, I oh, think wow. it's the I think it's the best work Jonathan Ross ever did was on Radio Two. It was that kind of show. You think, how is he getting away with this? And you know, all good things come to an end. But what do you hope from future projects? Do you hope? Do you think you can build on that kind of show? Are you just looking to do completely different stuff? Tell us the, the shows that you're working on, because you're working on quite a few things, aren't you? You got your... Yeah, so I've got a podcast for metro.co.uk called Good Sex, Bad Sex, which I co-host with Miranda Kane, who is just genius and brilliant, and I love her. She's my second favourite daughter. That is weekly. And if, if I can do a, li- a little blatant one, people, because it is hard to find um, BB Does Soho, but it, um, on my website, bblinch.com, all my Soho shows are there. So people can have a little listen Oh, there. they are there now? Yeah, 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 yeah. I got them there. So that's cool. Yeah, so I do that with Miri and I've got the show on BBC Radio Sussex, BBC Radio Surrey, which is a Monday night show. And again, it's just chat and music. And I've got, I know people say this, and God, lockdown was a nightmare, this pandemic, because I was in talks with some quite exciting about some quite exciting stuff that I'm hoping will still happen and like I said I've got the book and I I'm still writing for the nationals so I'm kind of really busy I'd love to build the radio more that's that's really I love doing it do you have a start date planned for the book I'm going to when I move into the flat I'm moving January 4th and I'm going to February 1st Daniel I'm going to say now I'm going to start writing it then how about that The important thing is that we all get past this, that that vaccination works and then we you know, can get back to some sense of normality if that's possible, but also to move forward in a better way maybe yeah you know? I did love what people were saying about um that this I mean and it always sounds flip because of course you know people have died it's hideous and it's unbelievable this has happened I st- my head still can't kind of accept that you know you know this time last year no one had heard of it or maybe we were getting reading reports or seeing reports from China and it's just like what where people describe it as a reset and I quite like that I don't know if that's that was definitely part of the kind of banana breaking and choir, Zoom choir kind of uh, world, wasn't it? And, but I hope that does carry, carry through that there's, it is a bit of a God-given opportunity to really reevaluate stuff, isn't it? I think maybe the swine flu left us complacent because that was such a false storm. We were all panicking in 2009. That turned out to be a bit of a damp squib. When you're talking about the way you cope with this, you walk you know, on the beach at Brighton, or home it's like that thing would be traveling through the air that's you know it's traveling inland we can't see it it's i think about how how close have i been to this thing has it ever been in this building that i'm in i had six seven days across two weeks with these builders who weren't wearing masks who were swearing uh sorry not swearing they were whistling they were singing they were belching and by the end of it i almost had Stockholm syndrome I tweeted this earlier today I almost envied them rather than being angry with them I envied their well their stupidity their (laughs) fearlessness their their just sheer disregard for the virus because Mm. you just think well these guys are still living you know they're still doing their jobs in a normal way they don't seem particularly worried gone off on a complete tangent that was such a long and dull answer are you worried about you catching it 
I suppose we all are, but, you know, I'd be worried about getting the flu just because it's an absolute pain to shake off. I do remember, and I've said this on, on my show earlier in the year, that last year I had a particularly nasty bug that I was in and out of hospital for four or five weeks just being called in to take more and more antibiotics. I'd never had that before. And earlier this summer when I had a catch-up call, the uh, doctor had said that I was one of 200 cases they flagged up as possibly being an early COVID, possibly. I thought it was just a very aggressive flu. I know people who've had it and they say it's really unpleasant and you just have to hope that you're strong enough and fit enough to overcome it. I just don't see how you stay ahead of it. It's, it's an incredible thing. Masks aren't enough. What about your eyes? You know, sometimes in the early days of lockdown, I'd be wearing my glasses in the shops trying to protect the eyes. And today in the supermarket, I made a classic mistake. You know, I was trying to put a single red loose pepper, 42p in Lidl, uh. trying to put it in this uh, plastic bag, couldn't open it. So I took off my glove. Yeah, lick my finger yeah. and I think, oh, I haven't done that for about eight or nine months. How stupid is that? So you're always slipping up. Do it's you miss that? Though? I miss doing that. I miss that with the bag. I mean, we don't want to get it because we don't want to give it to anyone else. And that, you know, but that, that's the reason I don't want to get it. I kind of don't, but we, and I don't know why, because I'm, neurotic, as we've said, established, incredibly neurotic, but I don't have the fear of it for myself. I just have the fear of getting it and then being part of it and spreading it and, and who, who that might hurt. But you and I, we're going to live forever. I hope so. Mm. And let's finish things off with how we started. The, the whole chocolate thing. Is this something that you're, this level of chocolate consumption, are you going to be carrying it over into the new place? I don't know how wide the doors are at the new place, and that is key. <laughs> I don't want to be that documentary where I'm, I'm hoisted out of a window to get to work. <laughs> you can guarantee me this place behind you, which does look very nice, that is your place. You're not house-sitting. <laughs> this is what you've done with your home. It's, it looks nice. It looks... I, I personally, I don't like big ceilings because they're, you know, they're hard to... It's hard to warm up those rooms, but it's a nice... You've got a nice Zoom background. Thanks, mate. Um, yeah, well, I can't... I'm not going to show you that side. Do you name your furniture? <laughs> I don't. No. Is I... Derek in there? <laughs> Derek died in a freak accident. You know we don't like to talk about that. <laughs> No, um, Cagney and Lacey, two wardrobes that I'm getting fixed at there. Yeah. I've just got lots of furniture behind me, so I'm not showing it to you. Oh, Daniel, am I going to see you again properly? If we're going to live forever, perhaps. Let's uh, remind everyone where they can find all your work, bblinch.com. And the yeah. BB Does Soho shows are on there now. God, yeah, that, was, yeah. That, that must have been quite a task to get all those <laughs> shows on there. I have a feeling you weren't involved. <laughs> Can't see you doing that. Too busy. Too busy. No, I, oh, no, no, not me. I wish you a, a good 2021 and I hope you have a successful move on the 4th of January. Thank you very much and keep running. And I hope that pepper is everything you dreamed it would be. <laughs> I hope so too. And I wish you a lovely um, 2021 too. So nice to speak to you. You too. bb lynch there follow her on twitter at bb lynch uh, follow the show twitter and instagram at 1607 west egg facebook.com forward slash drt available if you want to support the show with one-off donations there are paypal and coffee.com links 
at DanielRiversTyson.com where you'll find all my work. Please rate and review and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts. That helps increase the show's visibility in the store. Most importantly, the best way to support this work is via the Patreon page. Bonus content every Thursday, the Odd Bite Size Episode 2. Sign up at patreon.com forward slash DRT available. Thank you all for listening. I'm back later in the week, hoping the new football shows out in some form this week. Look out for that when shorts were short. That can be followed on Twitter and Instagram at shorts were short. You've still got my Daniel Ruiz Tyson's advent calendar at Holdfast Network. That is on the final four episodes now, so you can find it on Holdfast Network and uh, Apple Podcasts. Meantime, Clay Lowe and I are trying to work out when we can do a Christmas edition of our Mixcloud live show, Trial You Want. Keep your eye on my social media for that and follow Trial You Want underscore for details on that. And all that remains for me to say is get those shoulders back. Keep on walking towards the sun. Keep washing those hands. I'm Daniel Ruiz Tyson, and this start of the week, I have been available. Available.